You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit OKLABeef.org, link below. And let's get into today's episode. Great. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down at the Oklahoma Hall, to, Hall of Fame today. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Mr. Kit Wakeley to the podcast. Uh, we've had a, a, bit, a few musicians on recently. I was recently at the church studio in Tulsa, so that one's coming. Um, so... I'm excited to dive into your story and how, I mean, music kind of shapes our lives, right? It's something that we can't get away from. Even if you're not a musician, you probably listen to music every day. You know, it's on the radio all the time. It's it's such, it's such always around, and I'm excited to dive into your story and kind of how that evolves and weaves its way through your story. Um, but before we get into things, tell me a little bit about kind of what current life is like after, you know, the whole kind of Grammy stuff that's happened, and I'm sure a lot of local news people reached out to you, and, and that is where I first was made aware of, you know, it's like... Like, oh, this kid's from Edmond, from Oklahoma. He lives in Oklahoma. Let's have him on the podcast. Let's chat. So, I first of all, I appreciate you being here. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, tell me about you know what it's kind of been like in the last you know what three months, two, three months, two, two months, two months. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's been a roller coaster. Obviously, I mean, yeah. we're talking uh, phone calls and opportunities that just have poured open, and they. They come open from all over the world, whether it's London or India or South Africa. Just name the country, it feels like, lately. Obviously, here in the United States. So, very busy trying to volley uh, all the offers and opportunities. Um, But I think it was probably just as busy, if not busier, before uh, this. Just all the chaos that goes into getting an album out in time, submitted Mm -hmm. for a Grammy and that. Yeah. just that whole that whole onslaught of trying to make it all happen. <clears throat> what is that process like of you know, getting everything ready and submitting it for a Grammy and that whole sounds like it doesn't doesn't yeah. just happen overnight, obviously. No, I mean I, I had written 
and orchestrated, composed for about a year and a half. Um, with the you know for an orchestral rock album, that's normally what I do. Um, you know, I'll go to London. I record with the London Symphony at Abbey Road, and I bring it back here, and I try to find the best of the best rock musicians I can, as far as Joe Satriani or, you know, Steve I or anybody, Nuno Betancourt, I could go on and on. And so we create this really epic-sounding, um, you know, album, and we've had success with it before. I'm, I'm blessed with the number ones and all the awards for that. Mm-hmm. This time, <clears throat> I had submitted the album before this called Symphony of Sinners and Saints, which fell into that, you know, um, process. And we really thought, based off the vibe and hype, et cetera, that it was probably going to get a nomination, if not a win. And somehow, the day of nominations came out, it, it didn't happen, and it was gut-wrenching. So I had already started um, composing for the next album, and I was on my way to London to record the London Symphony for this most recent album. It's going to be called Symphony of Sinners and Saints, Volume 2. And a friend of mine called me as I was getting on the plane and said, hey, where are you headed? And I told him where. And he said, well, you should release an album this year in time for the Grammys. I'm just, there's not enough time. I still have to get Joe and all these other players on board. Well, why don't you just, he suggested, why don't you just release the album without any orchestra, or excuse me, without any rock elements. See how that works. So I thought about it on my way back from London and recording. I called up a good friend of mine and said, what do you think? And they were like, you realize this leaves us two months to arrange, to, you know, remix, to do all this work, get it mastered, get it branded. Two months. I'm like, we can do this. Come on, all the cool kids are. And uh, so we spent the next... 60 days, um, sometimes 48 hours straight, sometimes 24 hours straight, me going back and forth to L.A., producing this album. Uh, Star Parodi, my, one of my producers, her and her husband, Jeff Fair, I mean, they've, they've done every movie you can imagine from Transformers to James Bond. They do the scores of these biggest films, and here they are taking my project. And then uh, once we had it where we wanted, um, we went to Hans Zimmer's uh, people and said, why don't you mix it this time? Let's do something. Let's step up our game. And uh, here you have the world's best orchestral <laughs> engineers in the world mm-hmm. mixing your project. So you, you've got the ambiance of Abbey Road. You've got the most powerful symphony in the world as far as London Symphony. Now you have Star Parodi and their legendary, you know, resume. Oh, and like I say, let's get Hans, you know, his people. Then we had a legendary guy, Gavin, do the mastering. So we started to get a lot of hype, and I had no idea what was about to happen. But I I just kept hearing over and over, this is going to win a Grammy. And I'm just like, "Ah, I've been down this road before. I got my hopes up before. We're not, you know. And, uh, in fact, when the nominations came out, I wasn't even going to watch I wasn't even going to watch it. I'm like, I'm not going to even get nominated. I've been through this. And at the last minute, I watched because I wanted to at least support my friends. So as, as somebody would get a nomination, I would text them, hey, congratulations, so happy for you. Someone else would get a nomination. I'm you know, just reaching out to all my friends as they got the nominations. And that my, my category came up, and I saw it and just, 
I couldn't believe it. So my wife is trying to get a hold of me. I'm trying to get a hold of her. In the meantime, within 45 minutes, I had 81 voice messages, 100 and something direct messages, maybe 80 text within 45 minutes. And uh, next thing I know, we were on a flight to L.A. that day. And uh, that's when the real work starts. Now you got to go out and tell everyone I'm nominated for a Grammy. Would you vote for me? It's like politics. So I think that's an extremely long-winded um, result, you know, answer to your question. But after all that hard work, like, you know, you'll be in six cities in eight days and five cities in, you know, almost four days. And you're, you're, you're getting everyone to maybe support you. Um, and you can't say vote. You say, would you support me? And um, I still didn't think I had a chance to win. Uh, no one in my category has ever won as an independent artist. And here I am going against guys with the Universal and DECA and these huge labels. I still didn't think I would win. But when they were announcing the nominees at the actual Grammys, I heard this, they said my name, and you know, just as one of the nominees, and the place just went nuts. I'm like, I might, I might have a chance here. And then they, they announced, uh, they announced my my project. So after that, I don't remember anything. I remember putting my foot on the stage, thinking, they called my name right. You start second guessing. I, <laughs> I hope I didn't just run up here, and uh, you know, just zoned out. But. Um, yeah, since then, it's it's been a whirlwind as well, continued whirlwind. So, yeah. again, I apologize for that huge no, regurgitation, this is but perfect. I think that yeah. gives you the the kind of the full breath, you know, full yeah. Di- well, you know, reader's digest. And there's so much more to go into, right? There's so many more stories and so. Oh, I mean, gosh, sixty yeah. days is nuts, right? Like you know, and then to win and all the stuff, like it's there's so much more that goes into it, and and obviously it's not just you, right? It's the team and everybody that goes into the, it's you know it's a huge project for you guys to do, um, and just to have that award to win it, you know, like all right, like it's you know, it's nice to have a reward, isn't it? You know, especially after not getting it the year before when you thought you were going to get it, mm-hmm. and it's crazy how the world works and how life and timing works, and you're like, you know, maybe I didn't, you know, when you didn't think you were going to get it, you get it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's fantastic. So you mentioned there was a lot of projects before then, um, which we'll get to as well, uh, but I want to go back. So you're born in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes. Which is obviously plenty of music in Memphis. True. Not a lot of music that, you know, compared to Memphis in Oklahoma. So tell me a little bit about kind of your journey into music. You know, what's the first musician, your first music um, that you hear? What's the first instrument you pick up? Like, how is that journey into music and, and gets to where you think, I can be, I can make a career out of this? Yeah. You know, I don't, um, obviously born in Memphis, I was raised in Oklahoma. Um, I think when I was, uh, when I was six, we were put up for adoption, my sister and I, and, and we, um, by the time I was eight, I was adopted. And I, I had these beautiful parents who did everything they could to try to culture me and teach me and, uh, you know, uh, the the thought of being in band was probably not going to be my first choice, but I didn't want to go to the extra math class. So in fifth grade, I picked up the trumpet because I was lazy. And um, I just, you know, it, it was just something I, I, I fell in love with because it gave me an identity because here I was, I'm still kind of, still a very awkward kid. And, um, 
you know, you make all your friends and you don't think about music as a career or where it's headed. You're, you're just hanging out with friends and going to contests and hanging out. But um, as I got older, um, I really fell in love with, you know, we all love music. You know, we all just embrace it. But I started really liking the ability to play other people's music. And people would notice that, oh, wow, you know how to play this song. You know how to play that song. So it's part of that getting my identity. By the time I'm 16, I'm, I'm playing in bands. And instead of going to my own prom, I'm going to other proms playing those. And, you know, I, we wrote a song uh, when I was a kid, when I was 17. And somehow it ended up on the KATT's local talent show. And that's all I needed. That, you know, hearing your song on the radio and your friends telling you how much you're going to be a rock star, the bug had bitten and um, since that time, I've been in bands. I've been, you know, from college, grad school. I hung it up for a while thinking that, you know, we were opening up for all these label, big label bands. And the last band I remember we opened up for was a band called Great White. But I saw how they were living, and I was getting to bed at 4 in the morning, getting up and going to work at 8. I was a single parent with full custody of two kids, and I finally had to say, this is not for me. And uh, I raised kids for several years, met my beautiful wife, Melissa. And, you know, the, the very quick rundown is I did a song for her just as a Valentine's present. I loved it. I loved the experience. And uh, I got back into it. I never dreamed that that would be what happened or facilitate it. But uh, next thing I know, I'm writing music. But I was writing electronic and rock. Electronic rock was my favorite thing. And as I started doing licensing for uh, television and different projects, they usually would ask for orchestral elements. And a friend of mine really liked what I did and said, would you, he commissioned me, if you will, to write a song for his wedding, orchestral. Kind of liked it. And I was told how good it was. And so it just bit. I mean, I just took off. And so my first big project was... I were going to Macedonia, recording with the Macedonian Orchestra. Mind you, I'm a I'm a or I'm an electronic rock guy, and here I am in front of an orchestra, 80 people, and I I I was filled full of so much emotion. I had no idea that I would like orchestra. So the I was just that project called Midnight in Macedonia opened so many doors for me open the doors for big shows, open. I mean, I just, I'm like, when did all this happen? And uh, I wanted to outdo that. So then I started going to Abbey Road, recording with either, you know, the London Symphony or the Royal Philharmonic, you know, and somehow, some way, things continued to happen organically and doors opened um, to where, like I say, next thing I know, I'm, I'm standing at Carnegie Hall at a sold-out show thinking, how did we end up here? I don't know. I don't care. But I'm I'm able to think about that little kid who wanted to get it out of that extra math class. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, all it takes is a flap of a butterfly, they say, in Africa. And then you have a big hurricane in the United States several months later. I, that, uh, that little... Uh, trumpet was a heck of a butterfly swing so. yeah yeah it's a hell of a journey up to now right yeah. still going and then you know still going strong into the future um 
one of the things that stands out during that time, obviously you're a big kind of, you know, electronic rock guy. Who 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 were the bands when you were in high school then that you looked up to that you're like, oh, I'd love to be on stage with them oh one day. Gosh. Like who were those, you know, that you were listening to on repeat? Everybody at Daft Punk and Motley Crue and, you know, anyone that just could and I was geeking out then over Quincy Jones and what he was doing with Michael Jackson and uh and although I was supposed to be this rock guy in my room by myself, I was listening to the scores from Superman and, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Star Wars and these big film scores, and I was falling in love with them. So I was just blessed to have, if, if we had iTunes and Apple Music at the time, my, my uh, playlist would be very diverse, yeah. very, very diverse. So where does the, the movie kind of soundtrack stuff come into it then? Because not a lot of people I know growing up were like, you know what? The movie soundtrack to Transformers was brilliant. I listened to that on repeat, <laughs> right? Which you know, it was. You know, it's a great soundtrack. I, but it, yeah, beautiful soundtrack. Again, my friend Star yeah. and, and Jeff and them did that. Um, I don't know. It, it just happened organically. I did it. And people, you know, you just do what you love and the rest kind of take care of itself. People start to give it an identity. And, you know, most of my music is considered the big, epic film vibe, mm -hmm. you know, mantra. And I love that because when I do my shows, I I have lots of lights. I want showmen. I want video. I want effects. I Because people, they come to see a show very rarely do they come just to hear the music. Otherwise, they would just turn on the, your, you know, the radio. Uh, so, I talk with my audience. I engage them. I talk to them about the music, and if I can get them to laugh, I can get them to cry, and then hit them with some great visuals and great music. It's been a successful show. So, how we end up from that to going? Oh, I like film score type stuff. I, I wished I had an answer for you. Some stuff just falls into place. Yeah. Well, and, and the film school stuff, like there's a lot of epic, epic builds, right? And there's also a lot of, like you said, the teary eye, quiet, you know, stuff. And then, you know, you get to, you mentioned Hans Zimmer and like Inception, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. is that tabletop thing going to fall, right? <laughs> is it, does it, you know, <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, but the music plays, plays such a part in all those great movies. And you think of, you know, Star Wars and just the entrance to Star Wars. Well, how right? many times because do people maybe identify with the theme of that movie yeah. quicker than they identify with the movie? Yeah. I yeah. mean, you'll be in a theater and they'll start to play the, that French one part from Star Wars. And you don't even know what the big scene's getting ready to be that they're getting ready to show that trailer. You just heard that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, or yeah. Batman. You hear those two notes. You are like, uh-oh. And I, I think there's an art in it, too, to just kind of, you know, go down a rabbit trail with you. Hans Zimmer is brilliant at planting a seed. He'll, he'll plant a seed about the next scene by starting to play the theme. For example, the Joker, two seconds before the Joker comes on, before we even see what's going on, to say, hey, guess what's coming? Or John Williams was one of the first... Uh, Composers to go, you know what? I like this movie, Star Wars. Let's write a theme for each character. So you know when Princess Leia is coming on. So I think it's more than just the music. I think there's 
telling a story with the music that those guys are just so brilliant at. But yeah. that's just me rambling and geeking yeah, out yeah. over the topic. Oh, okay. well, it's, you know, that's, it's a passion, right? Like it's, you know, you wouldn't be as good as you, you are and, and love what you do if you didn't have that, you know, geekiness about it. Yeah. I, I'm that way about golf, uh, <laughs> you know, and sometimes cars. We can talk about that forever. But so, so, you know, you go back, you have that moment with, you know, the, trumpet that's your choice and you kind of get your you know your songs on the radio and you have like this kind of you know boost in wow this could be my thing how do you progress then through into college you mentioned going to college you know it's it's odd uh, I, I got a scholarship to go to a few different schools but i went to east central mm-hmm. so i could be close to my parents for a number of reasons uh, which was only about 45 minutes from yeah. tigers uh, yeah, see yeah. Tigers. Yeah. yeah, I got a scholarship there, but um, oddly enough, I lost the scholarship uh, because I wasn't ready to go to college yet. Um, and disappointing as it was, I was blessed to have some professors take me under their wing that weren't part of the music program, but were part of political science and English and things like that. And they showed me how to grow up. And next thing I know, I was making straight A's and graduating and. Uh, but I was in bands that entire time, and I enjoyed, you know, being able to play in front of college crowds, whether it's in Norman, Oklahoma City, Dallas, whatever. It's it's very intoxicating. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's great. Thankfully, you had those people around you, right? Yes. You, you mean, you, might, you wouldn't be where you are today maybe if you hadn't made those decisions. Oddly enough, the, the same bank, professor right? that kicked me out of the band program has invited me to come speak to his students Later in April. <laughs> Can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> oh, he's a great guy. Yeah. He, he had every reason to let yeah, me of course. Uh, exit the program. Yeah. So that happens. And, and as you mentioned, kind of like, you know, you, you're doing music, but, you know, you're a single dad. You decide that, look, I, I can't live this life anymore. I've got to raise the kids and step away. And, you know, no, it's the right thing to do, right? Every, sure. every human being looking at that with, with, you know, sensible would say, yeah, I probably shouldn't stay up till 4 a.m. playing shows when I have two kids at home. True. <laughs> Do you want to put food on the table and do that? So what was like, what was, what was like the career and job at that time then when you're not doing, you know, shows and playing and as you're being a dad and focusing on the kids, what are you doing to keep the time, you know? I had uh, uh, one of my best friends, he and I started a company mm-hmm. in all things healthcare. Okay. And um, that little seed of a company continued to grow I think that creativity for music bled over to, you know, what do we do with the company? And um, that company continued to grow into about 30 or more companies. Okay. And um, I was blessed to have so many great people around me to create that successful venture that it gave me the financial freedom years ago and to be able to say, you know what, I'm, I, the bug has bit me again. I did this song for my wife. I'm going to try this out for a while. And... Um, one of the best decisions I ever made. Yeah. Um, being able to build a company, step away, and then go do what I mm-hmm. truly love. Yeah, it's a huge blessing. Yeah. Well, and to me, the, I, the first thing that came to mind was like the parallels between building a business, bringing all of these people together is the same as you're building a show, bringing all these people much, together, yes, right? Absolutely. It kind of goes hand in hand. And if you're not good at it, then you're not good at it. But if you're good at it, it's easy to translate those skills into business or music yeah. or any other thing. So not surprised when you say that, you know, it, it grows into 30 other companies because you've got, you know, you're, you're used to handling a lot of things and, and bringing the right people together and finding the right people. That's 
that's a hard skill in itself. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, right? I've made my fair share of mistakes. Yeah. Whether it's the drummer or whether it's the executive assistant, we've all, we've, we've all made that mistake. Yeah. So, so like you said, you, you get back into it, you make your wife a song and you know, people seem to like it and the bug bites you again. Um, and from the, up until this point, Am I getting it right? And I, did I listen correctly that it was just rock and EDM and then, you know, classic rock, and then you get into the orchestra side? Correct. Okay. Correct. So tell me how that happens and how, um, you know, how different is it to build in the orchestra side? And then, I mean, the experience of going to Abbey yeah, Road must uh, be incredible you know, as well. I just started, um, I just started doing some licensing that involved that orchestral rock, you know, element. Sure. And then um, some of the briefs, that you would get, say, hey, we, we're really looking for some orchestral elements here, or we're looking for a more, um, you know, tense uh, theme or, or bed for this scene. And so I started to get more and more familiar with the orchestral, uh, you know, side of things. I had no intentions of doing anything, but again, my, my best friend was getting married, and, and um, it was suggested that maybe he... You know, we, we create this song just for him mm-hmm. and his wife to get married to. And um, he called me up after he heard it. And he's a, he's a very non-emotional, stoic guy. And he had tears. I could hear it. He had tears. He goes, what, what are you doing with this electronic and rock crap? You, this is amazing. And to be honest with you, I really liked what I did. So... I I learned from so many people during those pitch sessions and briefs while doing licensing that people had been using the Macedonian Orchestra. So I thought, all right, let's let's go see what it sounds like in front of them. And um, like I said before, once I heard the power of that orchestra play that song along with some other projects or songs, I was just blown away. But... The thing that's so difficult about it is when you're in a band, everybody comes together and you start kind of jamming out and you all write your own parts and you're kind of... But with an orchestra, when you're doing that, it's just you. Yeah. You know, there's four or 5,000 notes in that one song, that one score, and you're pinning every one of them. And it's on you. It's not on the bass player or the drummer to get it right. It's all on you. So it takes a year and a half, two years versus you have a few jam sessions over a couple of months ago. Yeah, we've got some songs. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the biggest difference is it's on your shoulders. So that 60-day time frame was really like a second in real life, <laughs> right? Yeah. Getting it together to, for the yeah. recent album. Um, if uh, For people listening, if they haven't seen, a, you know, haven't been to maybe a show or haven't been to, you know, seen a live orchestra, it's quite an experience, right? Like just that vibrations the tones the rawness of just that sound what was it like then when you're in that room listening to the macedonian you know and you're there and you're like like is this real life like this is unbelievable uh, you just nailed it is this real life um i'm producing projects for other artists now and and one of my artists that i'm producing for she is going to be going and we're going to re- actually recorded Abbey Road again with the London Symphony. She, you know, she was asking me for advice and we were going through the logistics, everything from Uber rides to hotels to when you arrive at Abbey and she says, anything else? I said, tell everyone to shut the F up when that, the first few notes of when you hear that because you'll never get that moment back. And when you hear that, you're either going to well up in tears 
or you're just going to, your jaw's going to be on the floor because you will never experience 80 people coming at you with that sound. And you'll be like, wait a minute, all those notes, all those things, all those years of working so hard will hit you that first three, four notes, embrace it, close your eyes and embrace it. So I, I think about it this way. When you go to a Thunder game, they want to get you out of your seat. What do they do? They play rock music. They don't, I mean, and it gets you out of your seat. They'll play a, a, a Van Halen, a Motley Crue, a, you know, Ozzy, something to get you going. Guns and Roses. Well, when you go to a movie, what gets you out of your seat? The power of an orchestra. So why not morph those two into one? And um, I, I just cannot tell you how much I did not ever want to identify with an orchestra in my musical path. But I can tell you it's a game changer when you hear it. Is it because there's just a stigma behind it of like old, crusty, classical music that nobody listens to unless you're 80 years old? I'll plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> you got to remember, I, I, I work with a lot of classical composers yeah. and film film composers, et cetera. So I'm, I'm, I mean, we all have opinions. Yeah. We just don't talk about those. So I'll, I'll give you an experience on my side. I played golf with my granddad growing up. And every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, he'd play golf with his buddies at 8, 8 a.m. And I would play on the Sunday and the weekends because I was in school in the week and he'd pick me up and for me it was earlier than I'd ever wanted to get out of bed right he picked me up at like 7 15 and he would the only radio station he listened to in the UK was classic FM and it wasn't on loud it was just in it was just background noise mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and I'm like I just walk you know and the, and he you know he he's still thankfully to these day he's still alive he doesn't drive anymore right so I'm never going to get that experience with him again and I just you know I look back and I'm like that's the only experience I have with classical music. Yeah. But it ties to a family, it ties to my granddad, but that's why I said, crusty 80-year-old yeah. man who listens to <laughs> classical music because you don't think of tying it in with rock music and you don't think of the cool stuff with movies and all the other stuff, right? Yeah. No one thinks of that. You know, I think classical is going through a huge renaissance right now because um, for the longest time, I wasn't really accepted in that community. I remember the first time I played with a big orchestra, with the band, with the rock band, um, the conductor was like, oh, no, this is not going to work. These artists, our string players, everyone, they're never going to put up with this. And one by one, the string players come up, I love this music. I love it. This is awesome. Finally, we're playing something besides Bach. You yeah. know? I'm like, all right. And I realized that the orchestral players really liked it. And I remember having a not a heated debate, but a very healthy debate with a, a really well-known composer in L.A., and he he agreed. Yes, we can be stuffy. Yes, we we are stuck in our ways. And I said, look, it's no different than R and B music. Decided, you know what? Hip hop probably has evolved out of this. Hip hop will have his category. And hip hop one day went. Rap probably has morphed out of this. You know, hymnal music to gospel, gospel to uh, contemporary Christian. We all evolve. We got to start thinking about that with classical music. Yeah. Are you really going to tell John Williams or Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman, that they're not, yeah. you know, awesome at what they do? And so I'm blessed that this past year, so many classical composers, conductors, session players went. I mean, they contacted me personally before mm. the Grammys even happened and said, "We're going to support you." Okay. This is so that was very redeeming. Yeah. Tell me about um, Abbey Road. Abbey Road. 
going to Abbey Road for the first time with the history of Abbey Road just in general and obviously then you've got an orchestra in Abbey, Abbey Road which makes it sound even better but just as going there as you know someone is in your profession that gets to record in there and do their thing in you know it's it's a it's a legendary location you know growing up listening to all the Beatles Beatles albums and Rolling Stones and Elton John and these legendary you know they recorded there so you knew there was an ambiance and a history and I remember getting there and some of the greatest composers the biggest films Star Wars to you know Indiana Jones this this is this is an iconic place. This is the mecca for music in a lot of ways. So I remember when you go to Abbey Road and you being from Wales probably know this, there's a crowd outside all the time. And they're crossing the Abbey Road and they're just waiting to see who comes in and here I am, I'm walking through the gates and security goes, Oh yeah, yeah, let him through and you're like, I have the privilege to experience this and then you get in and there's no photography and there's no this and of course I broke the rule every time but the walls are so haunting but some of the people there have been around so long they can tell you the greatest stories and you're just like wow that little kid playing trumpet from a small town in Oklahoma gets to experience this and um I'll never forget my first time at Abbey. And now, because of their customer service, the way they organize tracks, the way they have it ready for me uh, compared to other studios, just everything about that experience. It's not just that it's Abbey Road, but everything you would want as a recording artist and a producer is exactly what you need and want to save time. And by the way, you get the quality and you get that on your resume. I won't go anywhere else to record an orchestra it will be abbey road not because they're abbey road but because what i get out of it and it happened to be abbey road at this point yeah yeah that's that's that's, uh, that's the one thing that you know you you just really wanted to be that good right because you've heard all the amazing things you hear all the stories the last thing you want is to walk in there for the service to suck and the sound to not be as good as it was right but the fact that it is or maybe even better mm-hmm. and the service is up there as well and you get that whole experience like you said it you know keeps the legend alive and absolutely. makes people want to go back and continues that legacy of great like, people recording there oh yeah absolutely yeah that's that's that is special uh are you going back anytime soon i'll go back in july to uh to produce a a project i go back in november to produce another project Mm -hmm. and this year i'm you know i'm spending time although i'm producing for a lot of other artists uh, i'm writing and composing as fastly as fast as i can as passionately as i can so i'll probably also go back in uh, mid 2024 to Mm -hmm another I'm just for myself yeah you so you mentioned earlier you know your shows and there's a lot of kind of hitting all the senses right getting people out of their seat a lot of light stuff and and not just you know you know just music tell me about kind of that process of building a show and and getting everything involved and you know putting on you know not just a music but visually because that's a whole different ball game as well and lights and tell me about that process because that, that's fascinating to me yeah, I mean sometimes some of it's just you know, subtle things, you know, obviously lights uh, create a little more visual, uh, just color on, a, on, you know, the performers. But, you know, just having mist so the lights cut through. And then when you have a certain drum fill, wouldn't it be cool if the lights follow the drum fill? And if it's a sad movie or, excuse me, a kind of a somber um, 
film or, or score, have, have something on a massive screen behind you showing, you know, something somber. So now you've got the lights and this aura of mist. And, and I think what happened best for me is, remember, I went to see Ozzy and Motley Crue and Bon Jovi and Garth Brooks, and they put on a show. I mean, every element was choreographed to lights and lasers, and I thought, well, why can't we bring that to an orchestra? I'd seen Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and I saw that they did the same thing, and I'm like, well, okay, I don't have the budget to make it snow like Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but we do have the budget to create this show. It doesn't, I mean, I remember so many rock shows because they were just that, and... Um, that's what I wanted to bring to orchestra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, you know, I, I love live music. I would like to go to a lot more shows than, than mm-hmm. I have been to, but the ones that I've been to, you know, when you're in a festival and the music's, you know, great, but also, like I said, the lights, you know, it's, and it doesn't matter if it's rock music, if it's, you know, an EDM festival, um, you know, it's, I mean, I watched Mumford and Sons when they came to Guthrie and it was just them on stage with a guitar and it was epic, but there was lighting involved as well. Yeah. And they had all the string lights that came out and made it look kind of super magical. And, you know, it's, um, it's a whole part of the, the, you know, the event, isn't it? You sure. Know, remember that. Sure. And, and everyone's got their phone and camera out now. Right. So they're all going to see the photos and the videos of the light show, you know, cause the likelihood of it is the person on stage is the size of an ant on their phone, you know, so it doesn't matter. Uh, do you get, do you get time to go to your own shows and kind of do some, like, like you said, going to see Trans-Siberian, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, do you get to go and use it as like, Hey, I'm going to research this stuff and go experience it as well and be a fan every now and then. I haven't got to do that the past year and a half, Yeah, but I do try to, uh, I, I travel the country constantly watching other shows, but not the bigger more robust, you know, entertain you, uh, kind of shows like that. But, um, who knows, maybe life will <laughs> settle down and I can hit pause and, and, uh, watch some big shows. Yeah. And get some Taylor Swift concerts now yes. that she's on the road <laughs> selling out everywhere. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I don't think she needs a light show. No. I think she, people like her, Garth, they don't, they just all, they just can walk out on stage and they have something about them that just says I'm here. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't have that aura. So let's bring the lights and the visuals. <laughs> yeah, I did see kind of some photos and videos from her recent uh, show in Arizona, and it was like there was a massive box on stage with visuals. I mean, she's yeah, gone all yeah. out, right? But I have I saw Ed Sheeran in Tulsa four or five years ago, and he just walked out, and he like it's him and his loop paddle. You're like now that's that's power right? yes. it's like that that queen you know that uh, Freddie Mercury scene where he's at Wembley and he's just got everyone in the palm of his hand yes <laughs> like that is cool you know yeah. and if I can do that one day maybe I'll there's be cool there's not very many of those people in this world yeah so embrace them when you get to see them definitely yeah so so getting obviously now you know you, you said you've got a lot of stuff in the works you're super busy um, I mean what what stuff off you know away from the music do you actually do and have fun to do you, do you read are you into cars I mean what's kind of like you know, when Kit's away from his kind of music stuff, what's he up to? I'm in the gym just about every day. Yeah. It's my hour, hour and a half of me time. Um, I love spending time with with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's times, you know, at dinner, you you just uh, don't bother calling me between 6 and 7.30 because it's just not, I'm not going to answer. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, we adopted three kids 
about a year and a half, well, two years ago now. Wow, time to And I committed myself then that they're going to go with me when I'm on the road. They're going to go with me when, you know, anything related to music. I want them to see London and New York and yeah. L.A. and Mexico. And um, So time with family is sacred for me. Um, but music is... 12 hours or more a day for me so there's not a lot of time to (laughs) really embrace anything else are you an early morning gym guy or a late afternoon gym guy late afternoon really no I'm I'm in the studio chair by about 8 8 30 and I will not take a phone call till after 10 I don't want to talk to anybody (laughs) (laughs) so that early more that 8 to 10 time is like you know get the work done and this is what I got to do and yeah I mean People don't realize as a musician, when you do it all yourself, there's only about 10% of your life that's actually music. <laughs> Everything else you're doing yourself. So, yeah. And then I go to bed about one, unwind till about two, and we do it all over again. Yeah. But I don't complain. I love it, every bit of it. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, you know, when you were looking back at your story, right, and you always go back to that kid with the trumpet, and you're like, I could be in another math class, and maybe I could have been, a, you know, if I had taken another math class, I could have, you know, the peak could have been like a NASA physicist or a scientist, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, I'd rather be a musician than a yeah. person, anyway. Cheerleaders um, don't go for the astrophysicists. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. <laughs> yeah, and usually those astrophysicists don't end up in the gym either. Uh, they're too busy. Um you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you were adopted as a kid, yes. right? So, and, and having three kids adopted fairly recently, um, obviously that's a huge part of, of your life and your personal story. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about it and just kind of why you felt led to adopt as well yourself? Yeah. Um, as well as having two kids already. Yeah. You know, my wife and I have been married for 14 years. She had two kids. I had two. So we had a blended family and uh, they, we, our oldest, our youngest had just uh, graduated college, and we're like, wow, we're empty nesters. And um, we had had a calling the entire time we were married to adopt, but it just didn't ever seem like the right time. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of things fell on our lap. We went, to, uh, we went to the classes. In fact, I was offered an opportunity to tour 26 cities, and uh, play with each orchestra, you know, as a career. Wow. It was a career maker. And I just remember we were all excited about which cities my wife, because we've been, we've traveled so much. Well, okay, we'll just meet here. We'll meet there. I mean, we were going through all the logistics and we, we had a, what they call a home study. The DHS comes by and it dawned on us, we, we can't bring in a little boy because that was our intent, eight to 10 years old, we can't bring in a little boy and then I just disappear for, for half a year. That that doesn't seem right. And after a lot of soul searching, I called the promoter and I said, hey, uh, I have this vision of touring the world and everyone hearing my music and thinking I'm a great and et cetera, but I said, that's not my purpose. I'm going to have to turn it down. And he said, what the hell is this purpose vision stuff? Do you want, the, do you want this opportunity or not? And I said, I want it, but I can't take it. My purpose is to give a better life to somebody else and maybe this will align later and to be honest with you I thought it killed my career I I just knew it killed it and um, within a certain period of time I had reunited with my sister Uh, we were in the foster care system and separated and I was under the impression she had passed away she had no idea where I was at 
And somehow she tracked me down. Now, keep in mind, I thought she she was she had passed away. And when you're a, a six year old, you don't see color. I had no idea my sister was half African American. Wow. None. So I wasn't looking for some African American looking uh, female. I was just it just didn't happen. But she had been living with a mile of me for 15 years. So we had been going to the same grocery stores, the same convenience stores, the same drug stores this whole time and didn't know one another. She thought maybe I was in some other, you know, even when she found me, she, she was looking at my Wikipedia going, hey, well, he's probably in L.A., New York. I'm like, no, I'm just down the street. So we met at Charleston's. Um, and it wasn't long after that, um, you know, COVID was creeping up on us and I was supposed to play Carnegie Hall the first time. And three days before Carnegie Hall, New York calls and says, hey, we're shutting down. I'm like, what? I've got trucks on the way. I've got, I've got, you know, the whole crew coming up. They're all like checking into a hotel today where they're like, no, nah, not now. And I just remember being crushed, you know, dealing with the chaos of calling everyone back. And honestly, quite honestly, the, the loss of the financial loss, because you invest a lot of money into a show. And we got a call. My wife got the call and she said, uh, she talked to me. She said, well, um, got a call from DHS today. They've got an emergency placement. Wow, let's do this. She said, yeah. well, hang on. We wanted an eight to 10 year old. I said, yeah. And she said, well, it's not one, it's three. Three kids? Three kids. Yes. She goes, now hang on. They're six and under. Let's do this. Because in my mind, I was not going to let the DHS be on their control, but I, I couldn't let them separate these kids like my sister and I had been separated. So I thought, let's not, let's not repeat history. Let's keep these kids together. We're going to bring them in. And um, it's just crazy how this life comes together. There's three kids that live in a home off Coltrane in Edmond, Oklahoma, because someone adopted me and it led to a series of events that you reunited me with my sister telling me people shouldn't be separated. And now there's three kids that aren't separated. You, you can't make that stuff up. So, yeah. Therefore, the name of this most recent album was called The Adoption Story. A full circle, you know, tribute to, to all those events. Yeah. Wow. I mean... The fact that your sister lived that close to you mm -hmm. as well, like that's, you know, that's also crazy. Um, she was probably one of those people that cut me off a finger <laughs> to her or something. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> women drivers. Some Karen, some Karen yes. that he's just been yelling at. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So you guys met and just kind of. Been been close ever since. Yeah. And she has found that she had family? Yes. So fact, you're an uh, uncle and all that I'm, stuff. I'm now yeah. an uncle. Uh, my niece just had a baby here a few weeks ago. So Brilliant. We had, you know, life's changed. I go to the hospital and see my, yeah. see my, uh, you know, this Talitha have this beautiful baby. I'm just like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure that meeting, you know, like I said, if you haven't thought each other, you know, might have passed and, and you, you, you've, I'm sure that was a long dinner of catching up, Brian. It was. <laughs> like, you know, where should we start? Okay, let's start here because there's a lot of things that have happened. Yeah. I'm so glad you got to do that. And so glad, thank, probably thanks to, you know, social media and all that stuff, she could reach out to you yeah, and figure yeah. out you were here. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, wow, that's that's a great story, uh, and and obviously the kids you have now. Uh, what what are your so what are the you mentioned one of your uh, is it daughters or sons? You have the two that you have. We have I have two daughters. You have two daughters. Okay, uh, so you mentioned graduating. Uh, are they both graduated and they moving yes, on. Yes. Do they share any passion in music? No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, they finally they finally give their dad some street cred. Yeah, my dad's. Yeah. yeah, my dad's playing Carnegie Hall today, or you know, my dad's in, at the Grammy Museum today doing whatever, playing yeah. for you know for people. But they have no no music. Yeah. Well, and and just back to timing too, right? With COVID happening, and and you know, like you're crushed because you're on the way to Carnegie Hall. The trucks are going. Like you you've invested a lot of money in a show, and then it's just gone into thin air. And like I said, you get that phone call, and you know, we didn't know what COVID was going to be at that time, but it turns out to have two years at home with three young kids to develop relationships and be a dad. Footnote to that. Remember, it was an emergency placement. Oh, yeah. If Carnegie would have happened, Mm -hmm. we would have not been there for the emergency placement, and we would miss that opportunity. So COVID, although it had all these catastrophic collateral damage, you know, things that came out of it, I got three kids. You know, mm. I got all that time to finish writing a, an album that went to Grammy. Um, you know, sometimes those blessings come in very, very strange ways. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Uh, super special. I'm glad it all happened. Uh, the other thing you mentioned in there uh, was kind of, you know, you had this vision and this goal and, you know, turned down the offer to go play in 26 different countries with 26 different orchestras and a, and a huge tour. Um which we'll get to, I'm sure, the tour in a, in a second. But talk to me about visions and, and visualizing stuff and goals and how you see that and how that has kind of come through in your life over the years. Yeah, I I just believe when your vision intersects with your purpose, if you've got a work ethic, you know, I think not to get too deep or philosophical. I just truly believe this. If you, this is what I want, and this is quote unquote what I'm meant to do. My purpose, and you know. I might want to be a famous athlete, but I don't have the talent for it. I'm probably not meant to go play for my favorite football team or whatever. I might want to be the world's greatest musician. I may not have the talent for it, but if I if I have got the work ethic and some talent, um, and I'm meant to make music and be in the right place at the right time, then that's purpose. Um, you know, does the adoption story, does it tell, does it raise awareness for adoption and foster children? Absolutely. Um, does it bring, you know, as I've, I've had a few uh, professors and teachers tell me, you, you don't understand, Kit. I've got students now that think orchestra is cool. They want to play cello. They want <laughs> to play violin. And they want me to come talk to their students. They want to see the shows. They want to. So purpose is manifested from that from a vision and so I'm a big big believer if you've got a work ethic and you've got a vision but that purpose it, good things happen yeah yeah you're right that's awesome uh, two more questions last yeah. questions um, you mentioned uh, live music being a huge part of life and shows and everybody who haven't you seen yet that you want to see that's on the, the list oh my gosh because I've seen so many <laughs> right exactly <laughs> there can't be Paul McCartney left. to Steve um, Steve Wonder to, I mean, you name it. I've seen so many people. I really regret 
never getting to see Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to seen that energy on a stage. Now, I mean, there's just so many phenomenal artists that I, I don't even know where to start, be, mainly because I've seen so many. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we go to so many events where they're there, and I mean, I, you know, I'd love to, I've seen John Legend play, but I'd love to see him in concert. I'd love to, to, to hear what he does, you know. Um, I, I think it's who I wish I would have seen. I wish I could have seen okay. Queen. I wish I could have seen Michael Jackson. Because those guys are legends that no one's ever going to do that again. Garth yeah. Brooks is probably the closest we've ever had since Elvis and Queen and the Beatles and uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, it would be great to get a ticket into Boone Pickens to see him because I know I think he just announced a second show and he's going to play two shows at yeah. Boone Pickens, but I'm sure all the students are going to fill that one right up. I try to tell my kids. I said I'll, I'll tell them now. Look at all the, you know, Taylor Swift selling all these albums and she's huge. Now go check out the biggest selling albums. Mm. She's not even close. And I, yeah, it's, but that's a good thing. It means we've got a, a variety of music that we can all enjoy. Yeah. Last question. Uh, and some people have this, some people don't. Uh, it just depends. But do you have any prized possessions? Something uh, that if the house would have burned down, you're grabbing, you know, the kids and then this. Well, first thing I'm grabbing after the priority of children. And, <laughs> but if it's materialistic things, the first thing I'm grabbing, obviously, is my laptop because all my compositions are there. But I'm probably grabbing my guitar collection as well. Okay. <laughs> those, yeah, those would be the first things I grab. Oh, yeah. And this little shiny trophy with a megaphone on it, a gramophone on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm grabbing that. Definitely grabbing that. You're going to polish <laughs> that every day. Those. That's what you do every morning when you wake up is yes. make sure that's polished first, yeah. right? It's now on the list. Cup of coffee, polish the award. Uh, well, Ket, thanks so much for taking some time. I know you're super busy, so I really appreciate this uh, coming no, down. I'm honored. Sharing I'm honored. some stories. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, and, and now understand everything going forward and keep an eye on, on where you're at and travel and, and really would love to do this again in five, Absolutely. ten years just kind of see where it's gone from there Um, you know hear the story about the kids growing up graduating all that kind of fun stuff as well Um, so for people listening I'll put your website Instagram and link in the description they go check that out Uh, and any other information about shows and travel that's coming up we can put that and um, yeah for people listening we'll catch you next episode cheers Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever. I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffieford.lincoln. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit oklabeef.org. That's oklabeef.org, linked below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.